Good morning. A reading from Matthew. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jack, you guys can have a seat. Good morning again. Uh, I didn't properly introduce myself. Jack, can I have that? Thank you. Uh, earlier, I'm Pastor Chris, if you're here for the first time. Good to see you, glad to have you in our church. We've been going through the book of Matthew, uh, a series that we've been calling As Told by a Scoundrel. Uh, it's uh, uh, going to be a, a year-long thing, but we're taking breaks here and there. Next week is one of those times when we're actually taking a break for Father's Day. Scott King, one of our elders, is going to be preaching instead of me, a special message for Father's Day. So just like Justin encouraged you to invite people out to the men's breakfast, I want to encourage you to invite people out to Sunday. And uh, uh, join us for, for that. Um, but we are specifically in the Sermon on the Mount right now in this series through the book of Matthew. And we've got uh, two more weeks in this after next week. So we're almost wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount. And the focus of the Sermon on the Mount really is about what does it mean to have the character traits of the kingdom of God? What does it mean to uh, belong to the kingdom of God? If we're saved by Jesus, if we belong to Jesus, if we've given our lives to him and his spirit comes to indwell us, how should it change us? How should it impact us? What, what should it flip upside down in our lives? And so that's what we've been looking at in this Sermon on the Mount. Well, we've talked about freedom from lots of different things, how God wants us to be freed from, from worry. If we belong to his kingdom, if, if we're resurrection people, uh, then we shouldn't worry like the rest of the world worries. We should have freedom from anger, freedom from lust, freedom from revenge, freedom from judgmental hearts. Those are all these things that we have talked about in here. Uh, today, we're going to talk about freedom from pagan praying. Freedom from pagan praying. There is a way to pray that the rest of the world engages in, unless you're, you know, definitely an atheist, but there's a way that many pray who don't have a relationship with God, and Jesus is like, don't pray like that. I want you to pray differently. I want your prayers to be different. People have said prayer is just talking to God. I hear people say that a lot. Prayer is just talking to God. I understand what people are trying to say. You know, they don't want it to be too formal and too, too mechanical and too formulaic. I get that, but... What we're going to look at today, if that's true, there's a right way to talk to God and a wrong way to talk to God. Just like there's a right way to talk to my wife and a wrong way to talk to my wife. Anybody? Huh? If I try to talk to my wife like I was talking to one of my high school friends, wouldn't go well. Wouldn't, wouldn't go well. My wife is different. She's unique. She's, she's different because she's different objectively different, but then she's different because we have a special relationship called marriage, so that makes it different. So how I relate to her and how I communicate with her should be different than how I communicate with anybody else, right? How I talk to each of my kids is different because they're different individuals, and so our relationships are slightly different. How I talk to Kayla is different than I talk to Sienna. They're different when it's time to discipline them. It's different. It's different because they're different. 
How we talk to someone is dependent on knowing who that person is and being confident in the kind of relationship we have with them. You ever walk into a, 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 a meeting with somebody, uh, maybe, maybe the date that you've been, you know, it's been a little while, but you're not sure what the relationship's like. You're not sure how this conversation's going to go because the relationship is not securely defined, right? So sometimes we, we, when we pray to God, we pray as if we don't know who God is and that relationship has not been securely d- defined. Anybody see the movie Bronx Tale? I'm not recommending it. I've gotten in trouble for recommending movies. The people told me that they, I recommended movies with too much violence or cursing. With it. So I'm not recommending it. It is available on Amazon Prime. <laughs> and it's a classic. But I'm not necessarily recommending it. There's a scene in there. I'm gonna, we're going to show, show this scene in a moment. But let me set it up. The, the main character, when he's about, uh, I think, 10 years old, he witnesses a murder. A mob boss in his neighborhood in the Bronx kills somebody. He sees it. The police come. They line up the suspects. One of them is the mob boss. But the kid, he knows in this neighborhood, if I rat this guy out, something bad's going to happen to my family. So he lies to the police. Then he feels bad that he's lying to the police. So he goes to confession at... Church, I want you to look at this conversation with him and the priest. We fall on fire, sin. It's been one month since my last confession, and these are my sins. I missed mass on Sunday twice. I lied about witnessing a murder once. I ate me on Friday once. Wait a minute. Can you back up a little bit and say that again? I ate me on Friday once? No, not that one. Back up a little more. I lied about witnessing a murder? Yeah, that's the one. Do you realize what you said? It was only once, Father. Do you know what the fifth is? Yes, Father, I know what the fifth is. The fifth is I refuse to answer on the grounds that I'm not a criminal. The fifth commandment. Thou shalt not kill. That's right. Now I want you to tell me what happened. No, Father. I'm not telling nobody nothing. Don't be afraid, my son. Nobody's more powerful than God. I don't know about that, Father. Your guy's bigger than my guy up there. But my guy's bigger than your guy down here. You got a point. Five Our Fathers and five Hail Marys for your penance. For a murder rap? That's not bad, Father. What did you say? Bye, Father! It was great to be Catholic and go to confession. You could start over every week. So, um... Two things that stood out to me from that scene about prayer, misconceptions that we all kind of buy into on some level is that, uh, number one, your guy's bigger up there, but my guy's bigger than him down, down here. And, and, and that's how many of us pray. God's big up there, and he can get us into heaven maybe, uh, but he doesn't want to be too involved in my life down here, and I got to figure things out for myself, and I got to look out for myself. And there's other people in my life that I'm a little more uh, in awe of down here th- than, than him. And the second thing that stood out to me was the fact that he was told to say these our fathers, which is what we're going to look at today, the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven. He, that was his punishment. That was penance, right? Go say a certain amount of our Father. So that was a pagan use of a prayer that Jesus gives us when he tells us how to pray. We do this a lot. There's many different ways that we're going to look at. Seven ditches, seven pagan prayer ditches that we can fall into in our prayer life today. Now, if you, can, you still don't, you know, I'm not convinced, let me just show you again what, what, what Jesus said here, that there's a pagan way to pray and a, and a way to pray that he wants us to pray if we belong to him. Jesus said in verse 7 of Matthew 6, when you pray, don't keep babbling like pagans. So that's a wrong way to pray, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. 
Now, to be clear, pagan doesn't mean evil, okay? I just wanted to, pagan doesn't mean evil. Pagan was also translated Gentile, so non-Jew, somebody who's, who doesn't know the, Yahweh, the God of the Jews, creator of the universe, who have these other gods. Jesus is like, they pray. There's a way that they pray, but it's not based on this secure relationship with the God of the universe, and it's not based on the trust that they know who they're praying to. They babble on. Other versions say they have vain repetitions. They just say meaningless things to get God to hear them, answer their prayers. Vain, kind of like what the kid did in the, you know, saying the Our Fathers in a vain, repetitious manner. Jesus says, don't pray like that. There's a wrong way to pray, in other words. There's a way to pray that people pray like who don't have a relationship with God. That's what Jesus is saying. Just like with my kids. I have a relationship with my kids that I don't have with other kids in our church. I talk to the other kids in our church. I love all the other kids in our church. But not like I love my kids, and it's not like the relationship I have with my kids. And so God is creator of everyone, loves everyone, but only through Jesus do we become, that's the story, only through Jesus do we become adopted children and then can relate to him in a different way. You can pray without being able to relate to him in that intimate way that Jesus paid for us on the cross to, to relate to him as. Okay? So we're talking about freedom from pagan praying. Jesus continued in verse 8. Don't be like them. Don't pray like them. Don't babble on like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. They don't know their father. They don't know the God of you. They don't understand him. You do. This then is how you should pray. And that's when he launches into uh, what we call the Lord's Prayer. But what he does not mean is for us to memorize that word for word. Nor does he mean, I think, for us to use that as an outline every time we pray. What I think Jesus is saying is that we need to understand who we're praying to and the story that we're a part of. Here's kind of my main point for today. There should be a difference between the prayers of pagans and the prayers of Jesus followers. Jesus followers should know who they're talking to and the story they are a part of. So we're going to go through this Lord's Prayer. We're going to look at seven uh, ditches that I think we can fall into seven wrong misconceptions when it comes to prayer. And before I, before I dive into it, let's, let's just pray. How about that? Can we do that? How about that? Jesus, you, I believe you're alive. That's who you are. You rose. And so you hear these prayers. So if you hear these prayers, and I want to ask that you would do something to our hearts today. You would speak to us. Jesus, you have resurrection life, and you want us to walk in that. So I pray that you would show us what maybe a next step is in walking in that, especially when it comes to how we pray. In your name, amen. Okay, so Matthew Chapter 6, continuing verse 9, Jesus said this, Our Father in heaven, starting right off the bat, this is how you are to relate to God, our Father in heaven. Right, right off the bat, there's this tension. Father, Abba, also, uh, you know, for us, Daddy or Dada, there's this word of intimacy. You get to relate to the God of the universe, Jesus is saying, as your Daddy, your 
data. He's close. He, he invites you to come near. But he's also in heaven, which means he's transcendent. He's sovereign. He's the one who created the world. He spoke the universe into existence. Don't forget that part either. You, we are to embrace both parts. If we don't embrace both parts, then we are prone to fall into one prayer ditch on one side of the road or another prayer ditch on the other side of the road. The first prayer ditch, this is, I'm, gonna, I'm calling these pagan prayer ditches. Pagan prayer ditch number one, seeing God as a distant and aloof CEO. Not being able to relate to him as father, believing that he's too busy for us, or maybe we've screwed up too much, our life is too pathetic, why would God want me, why would he want to hear from me? We see ourselves as kind of working in the copy room, he's the CEO on the top floor, if I have something, I need to go to somebody who's higher up on the org chart. So let me talk to my pastor, maybe, hey, pastor, I have this need, can you pray to God, you're close to the big guy, that kind of thing. And the truth is, truth is, if, if, if somebody has rejected Jesus, then, then the idea is that, yeah, I am closer to God, I can, I'm his child, just like my kids are closer to me than your kids are, than the Rivera kids are. But once we're adopted into that family, once we say yes to that adoption through Jesus, then we can relate to God in the same way. You don't need a pastor to do it. You don't need somebody else who seems more mature. doesn't matter if you had a bad week and you screwed up. You get to go to him as your father and say, Dada, man, I had a rough week, but I have some needs here. Now, on the other side of the road, the other extreme is, is number two, seeing God as your cool, chill dad. This is where you, you get the father part, sort of, but you, you kind of dismiss the in heaven part, reigning and ruling from heaven. He's in charge. And so you kind of treat him like, you ever have that friend in high school whose father tried to be cool and buy the beer and smoke marijuana with you and your friends? You ever have that? Just me? I only had those friends? <laughs> so some of us relate to God like that. We're like, hey, you know, daddy old pal, can you... You know, can you, can you make this work? Can you get, get the six-pack for me and my friends? Can you be a good sport and make this, my life a little easier here and there? Right? But there's no reverence. There's no awe. There's no submission. So that's two ditches. So we have to embrace both. Our Father who is in heaven. And then the first ask, the first petition comes next. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Make your name holy, sanctified. Set apart. Hollywood has the idea of reverence. May your name be sanctified and set apart from all other names. Now, do we make his name holy? No. What Jesus is saying is that may your name be recognized as holy. It's not like God is unholy and God, I'm, I'm praying that you make yourself holy. No, God, but make your name be recognized as holy. Be adored. Be given the weight it deserves. May your name be weightier on my soul than any other name out there. May I live for your name. May your name get the praise, the glory. This stands in stark contrast to ditch number three, which when we pray, God, make my name hallowed. Make my name set apart. Make, give, give, let me have a good reputation. Let me be celebrated. I used to pray a lot in high school. I prayed like a pagan. I prayed, Hallowed be my name, especially before a wrestling match or a football game. Hallowed be my sports team's name. Let us be in the papers. Let us win this championship. Let us be celebrated. 
And we, we pray this often. We don't bless my business so that I'm, I prove myself. As Rocky said in number one, let, let, you know, I want to go to distance so I can prove that I'm not a bum. God, I want to prove myself, so help me here. Hallowed be my name. Let my in-laws finally respect me. You know? Let this dinner come out good so my mother-in-law finally, you know, that kind of stuff. Hallowed be my name. And Jesus said, no, no, we pray, uh, hallowed be your name. When we belong to a new kingdom now and we're adopted into a new family, that's how we're to pray. May your name be weightier on my heart than any other name. When somebody looks at your life, do they see, I mean they should see, but do they see that God is the weightiest thing, that he's the name that you want to associate with more than anything else. Or, I mean, think about the t-shirts you wear or the bumper stickers you have, the things you post on social media. Would somebody say, oh no, their life says Hollywood be the name of a celebrity, a politician, somebody else, a party that they think is going to be, bring some kind of practical salvation to the here and now. So that's their life. Hollywood be somebody else's name. Or would they say, no, that person lives a life that wants to say, hallowed be his name. May his name get the renown, get the praise in my life. This is why we got to be careful how we pray for a building for ourselves. You know, we just made an offer off Maple Ave, a piece of land, and we're praying. But I want us to be real careful how we pray, because we don't want to get a building so that we can say, oh, we're legit as a church. Now I can finally call up my friends who've been waiting for us to have a building and say, oh, we're finally legit. Or, you know, for our name, True Life's name, to be spread. No, we don't want that. We, we want a building so that we can serve God's kingdom, so that his name would spread. Not True Life, not, not, not our brand and that kind of thing. So we have to be real careful how we pray. God, provide that for us, but may your name be hallowed in that building. May we use it for your purposes. Help us, protect us from making it about us. And then let's keep going. Then uh, it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if he's the king, if he's in charge, if we're saying, hallowed be your name, then the next thing is, and bring your kingdom. Your kingdom, kingdom has the idea of reign and rule. So the reign and rule of God, we're saying, we're asking, God, bring that crashing into heaven where it's broken, where it's cursed. Remember, Jesus is telling them to pray in light of the story. What's the story? That creation was good in the beginning. It got fractured because of the sin and rebellion of mankind. God put a plan of redemption in place. Jesus entered the scene, said the kingdom of God is here, it's at hand. His reign and his rule is breaking in. He died, he rose again, he ascended into heaven, and he promises one day he'll come back. When he does, he's bringing heaven to earth. He's going to renew this place. Every ounce of evil will be eradicated. Sickness and disease eradicated. In the meantime, we live in the overlap of the ages. We live in the overlap of a broken world and the kingdom of God invading. And if we belong to him, then he says, go bring the kingdom and go pray for the kingdom. Your kingdom come crashing into this world. On earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. What's being done in heaven? Pray that that happens on earth. What's going to happen on earth when Jesus returns? Pray that that breaks in now. But what does that mean? Well, 
that means we need to know what the Bible says is God's will. We, that means we need to know what the Bible says is his kingdom, what his kingdom's like, what heaven's like, what that new earth will be like. So that brings us to number four, not knowing God's revealed will. Sometimes we pray willy-nilly prayers like, I don't know, maybe if it's God's will, then you know, let this happen, and we don't know. But if we knew the Bible, then we know, okay, these are things that we know God says he wants. Like it says, I I, I don't desire that anyone should perish, but that all should come to eternal life. Now, does he give people free will? Sure, yeah, he gives them free will to reject, but that's what he wants. So we don't have to say, if Justin was like, hey, can you pray for my family member to see how glorious Jesus is? I don't have to say, well, if it's God's will. No, we pray with confidence that God wants him, that family member. If somebody's struggling with a, a, a sin issue, a rebellion issue in their heart, and they're like, man, I want this to break. Addiction, maybe. I don't have to say, well, if it's God's will, let this person be freed from it. No, we know. God wants us to be fully devoted to him. Sickness, disease. There's no sickness and disease in heaven. God says, I'm Jehovah Rapha. I'm the God who heals you. So we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done in this physical body as it is in heaven. We don't, have to, we don't have to wonder what God has revealed to us. We know Jesus plans to return one day. We don't have to wonder about that. We pray, Lord, come back, come back, come back. Justice. God all over the Bible talks about he's a God of justice. His kingdom will be a God of justice. We're going to care for the orphan, the widow, the fatherless, the refugees. That's what the Bible tells us. We don't have to wonder about that. We pray accordingly. But we need to know what his revealed will is, and we need to be able to stand on that. Sometimes we get bored with prayer, I think, because we're so focused on our own little kingdoms, you know, our, our own property lines, our own family divisions, and then we get bored, and we run out of things easily. But when we step back and go, wait a second, what does God want to do in this world? You turn on the news, and you see, wow, look at all these areas where God's kingdom needs to come. We got a lot of things to pray about. We get a lot of things to pray about. Unending. Unending. So we got to know what the Bible says. We look out at the world and we go, well, that ain't happening. So God, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray with confidence. Recently, we were talking about this as a family the other day. And uh, we read this passage. And we're like, let's pray Let's pray for only the things, not that it's, you know, we, we normally pray for a lot of just inter-family stuff, but let's just pray for the stuff that we know God says he wants to make happen. And the first one to think of something was our youngest, Tessa. And, you know, it was like, each person pray. Each person just name one thing. And Tessa, our youngest, was like, Jesus, come back. <laughs> like, yeah, that's in there. That's what the Bible says. We don't have to wonder. If it's your will, come back. He's going to come back. We don't know when. He didn't tell us that come back. The next day, um, one of my other kids came and showed me her journal. Sienna um, showed me how her prayers were shifting, and she was asking God to not make gymnastics too important, asking God to be, help her to be kinder to her sister, and for a friend to, to know Jesus. It's like, yeah, it's, that's what, we know God wants those things. He wants us to be kind towards each other. Bible says so. He wants us to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That means more than in sports. That's his will. We know that. This friend coming to know Jesus, we know that. So we can pray accordingly. 
Now, does that mean that his revealed will always happens? Of course not. It's a broken world. It's a cursed world. We pray for stuff. Sometimes it doesn't happen. That's wrapped up in his mysterious sovereign will. His, his, he's still sovereign over this brokenness, but he allows you know, th- this brokenness for a time. Satan's in, in the world for a time. Sickness and disease and, and, uh, and all that. It'll end when Jesus returns. So we pray according to what he says this is what I want. This is my revealed will. And when it doesn't happen, we trust that he's going to redeem all evil for his children. But we don't have to try to figure out, well, what's he going to allow and what's he not? Does he use everything? He absolutely uses everything for his children. For those who belong to him, his promise is that I want to redeem it and use it for good. But we are not to use that as an excuse to keep sinning, to stay stuck in an addiction, to not pray for healing, to not pray for Jesus to return. We are to pray what he tells us to pray. Stand confidently on that. And so that brings us to the next one. When things don't happen, number five, don't look for someone to blame. Don't, don't, don't do this um, nonsense where it's like, well, I, didn't have, I guess I didn't have enough faith, or you didn't have enough faith, and that's why you, this didn't happen. Or God wanted this to, no, don't, don't look for someone to blame. It's a broken world. God will redeem all that he allows for his children. We are just to pray according to his revealed will and trust him when things don't happen. All right. Um... Originally had four more, uh, or five more actually, but reduced them down to two more. So, so like I said, we only got seven. Um, the, the prayer shifts here. The Lord's Prayer sort of shifts. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will will be done on earth as heaven. And then it shifts. In case we go too far with that and think that, oh, I shouldn't pray for myself. Or I shouldn't pray for my own needs. Jesus brings it right down to the ground level, the practical. And he changes it. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, uh, the next little section, I'm gonna, I'm gonna summarize with, with this, with this, this one, prayer ditch number six, praying like business negotiators instead of needy children. Coming to the table, thinking, okay, I got, I need something, I got, I got to have something to offer. You know, God, if you do this, I'll do this for you. You know, or I just want to remind you, I went to church three weeks in a row, so that's, you know, better than that guy. He only goes once a month, so Jesus, I really think you need to answer this prayer, right? We, we come to the table thinking we have to barter, we have to negotiate, and if Jesus tells us to pray, our father, Abba, it's Dada, my kids, when they're real young, and they're calling me Dada, and they're coming, they're not coming to offer something. They don't think they need to barter with me. They just ask. Little kids, little kids, when, uh, until they get old enough to be super self-conscious, you, real little, they just ask. They don't think they have to offer you something. They don't, they don't look to trade. They're just asking. And so we, we can come to him as needy children. So let's keep reading. What does it say? Give us today our daily bread. It's the first thing. Daily bread, what you need. They lived in an agrarian society. If there was a famine, one crop failed, they could, they could go hungry. They didn't have Wonder Bread with preservatives that stayed around for a long time. They had real bread. Real bread got moldy fast. They needed daily provision. Give us today our daily bread. And that represented all their daily needs, clothing and everything. Jesus said, you, you come to him, you, you ask for it. 
Don't think that you're in control, number one. We live in a country where it's easy to think that we're in control of things. We've got our freezers, and we've, we can stockpile stuff in our basement in case things shut down and, and all that. But, you know, hurricanes come, stock markets crash, and all of a sudden we're reminded, oh, we're not in control. And then our tendency is to do what? Try to get back control. We try harder, think faster, Google longer. If I Google, I can figure this out. If I vote somebody new into office and, you know, get the gas prices down, then I'll take back control and all that. Jesus, no, 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 you're, you're not in control. You're not in control. You need your daily bread, and you need it from God. God's your provider of daily bread. He's the one who will provide. And you can come to him as a needy child. And when you have, don't forget. Don't take it for granted. Don't take it for granted. This is, our family tries to pray at dinner time, not as just like this religious thing, but just to remember, God provided food again today. A lot of people in the world, when they're not eating, they don't have their daily bread. So we pray, our God, provide their daily bread too. We have it. Let's not take it for granted. Let's give thanks for it, and let's ask him, can you keep providing this for us? Because things can change like that. Things can change like that. And then we're also needy for, let's keep going, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. We need forgiveness on a regular basis. We need to bring our sins to God on a regular basis, confessing them. Oh, God. I'm sorry. Sometimes we think that we have grown past the need for forgiveness. We, you know, we're, we're super mature. So we come to God just kind of meditating on what other people do wrong, you know, asking him to fix other people, forgetting that, oh, man, my heart, my heart was ugly yesterday. Can you forgive me? Can you forgive me? And then grant me the grace to forgive this person that I'm upset with. Because if it says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, what if God only forgave you to the same degree that you forgive others? Like, whoa, God, help me. Help me to forgive this person lavishly. Help me to forgive them lavishly because you're a forgiving God that lavishes grace upon grace. So help me to forgive this person. I'm needing for the help to forgive this person, and I'm also needing for forgiveness from you. Needy children, instead of business negotiators, instead of coming to barter, I'll do this if you fix that person. And then Jesus said this, next verse, last one, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So the final kind of ditch that we can fall into is, is forgetting or not being aware of the devil and his goal. A lot of people think the devil, you know, they say, oh, the devil's attacking me, the devil's attacking me. If you belong to Jesus, he's always attacking you. That's just assumed. Just assume that. He's always on the prowl. He's always looking to tempt you. You don't, you don't blame him for your, you take responsibility. You take responsibility. But his goal isn't to make your life hard. His goal is to get your eyes off Jesus, steal your faith, make God big in your heart. I'm, I'm sorry, make God small in your heart. That's his goal. So he'll use difficulties to do that, but he'll also use blessings and gifts good things and he'll he'll use all kinds of stuff he has all kinds of ways that he'll trap us to, to for us so that we forget who god is how big he is and we make other things bigger than him that's why we fall back into addictions if god can't satisfy me i need to run back to this i need to run back to this I need this substance. I need these video games. I need whatever it is I'm addicted to. I need this. I need this. I need this to get through life because God can't satisfy. He's not big enough to. But it's also why we sometimes try to do the right things in the wrong ways. 
one of the devil's goals. If, if he can get you to see something that needs to be done that's, that's broken in the world, I'm go- God, I'm going to bring your kingdom in my own way. I need, something needs to be done here. This happened with Peter a few times, but one, one of the biggest times was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus' uh, disciple Peter. Jesus is in the, the garden, and, and they come to arrest him. Peter reacts, takes out a sword, chops off the ear of the, one of the soldiers, and Jesus is like, yo, we're not doing it this way. Don't you know I can call down legions of angels and they'll crush these guys? Like this, this, is, this has to happen according to my father's plan. Peter didn't understand it. Peter cared for Jesus, which was right. He was loyal to Jesus, which was right. But he thought, I better fix this. It's up to me to fix this. So I'm grabbing my sword. God was small in Peter's mind. Peter was big. Peter was big. He was big in his own mind. God was small. I better do this my way. And we do this all the time, right? We see somebody, they're wrong. Well, I got to fix them. I'll change my spouse. I'll change my kid. If I only manipulate this way, if I only control that way, if I only say this one mean thing, it'll be worth it if I show them how wrong they are. So there's all kinds of traps. And so we need to pray, God, (laughs) protect me today from making some foolish mistakes, from saying some foolish things. Sometimes I get home, and I'm like sitting in the driveway. Okay, Lord, I'm going to go in the house. Help me to love my family instead of trying to control my family. Help me to be present with my kids instead of thinking about other stuff, worrying about other stuff. Help me. Help me not to fall into the devil's trap. Help me not to let this thing that was bothering me from this meeting over here make me irritable to my kids over here. Help me not to fall into that trap. I'm needy for your help. I know the devil's kind of trying to get me. I'm about to go into a meeting with somebody who maybe I know is mad at me. God, help me not to be defensive here. Help me to have compassion. Help me to have love for them instead of defensiveness with them. Help me. I fall into these traps all the time. So God, I, I'm needy. I know the devil's looking to trap me and I'm, I can be selfish. I can be prone to pride. I can be prone to fall. So help me. Protect me. So again, to sum it up, that main point that I, that I had earlier, there should be a difference between the prayers of pagans, and by pagans I mean those who don't have a close relationship with God, and the prayers of Jesus followers. Jesus followers should know who they're talking to and the story they're a part of. Big story of redemption that we get to be a part of. So I'm going to call a band up here, and I'm just going to give you a couple of questions to reflect on. The, the, the first question is, is God's story your priority in prayer? Is God's story your priority? What, what story are you, do you pray according to? Who's the main character? Is it you and then you go to prayer when, go to God in prayer when there's, you know, a, another character that's messing up your storyline? <laughs> or, or do you go to God going, God, this is, this is your story where you're the main character. I want you to get the glory. I want you to get the praise. I want your kingdom to come. I want your will to be done. What's your priority in prayer? And then number two, do you believe that our prayers actually change things? Do you believe that our prayers, God is sovereign, and yet in his mystery of his sovereignty, he has ordained that our prayers would change things. How crazy is that? That our prayers would change, not just our own hearts, although they do, but also other people's hearts, other circumstances. Our prayers do that. How crazy is that? Do you believe that? Do you take advantage of that? Do you make time for that?
Does your schedule reflect that you believe this? Do your daily habits reflect that you believe this? Last week I said that, um, I'll say it again. Uh, sometimes when people say I'm too busy to pray, I get, like, it, it, that's because we believe that getting stuff done, cleaning our house, doing the chores, checking our email is more rewarding and gets more done than prayer. And the, and the Bible would say, and my experience would say, it's not the case. I, I, I used to get a little um, anxious when my to-do list wasn't getting done in a day. Now I realize how pointless that is compared to prayer. And it doesn't bother me as much anymore. You believe that our prayers actually change things. Number three, do you need prayer today? Do you have a felt need for prayer? I want to I ask some people from our prayer team to be available. Maybe two or three on each side. And if you need prayer, while we're just taking, you know, singing this last song, come on down and we want to pray for you. It could be the need for daily bread. It could be the need for, for um, forgiveness. It could be, you know, you, you see a big area where God's kingdom needs to come in my family's life. Anything. So can a few members of the prayer team actually just come now? Justin and a couple others be available. And then finally, 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 number four, have you accepted God's offer of adoption through Jesus? To use the kids as an analogy again, my kids, they're in my family. I'm their dad. They can relate to me as such. If all the kids in our church were suddenly orphaned, and we said, hey, we're paying for the adoption of all these kids, and one of them said yes, Another one said, no, I don't want. Then they wouldn't be able to relate to me and Jess in the same way as we would want this adopted child to start to relate to us. It would take time. They need to get to know us and it'll build. And that's the process of our spiritual life is getting to understand God as our father after we say yes to his adoption. But if you haven't said yes to that adoption, that process won't start. And I just want to encourage you to consider we'll be available. Me and Justin and Debbie and Bill and Dan over there, whoever. Uh, if you want to make today a day where, yeah, I'm saying yes to Jesus. His offer died on that cross so that I could be adopted into God's family. We want to pray for you for that too. So let's stand. We're going we're gonna to sing. We're going to sing a familiar song right now. And again, we'll, we'll be available for prayer. Um, Scott and Justin is down there. Bill and Debbie over here. I'll be over here as well.